Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, dear listeners. Here is a new episode of the podcast, and this one features a conversation with my dad, with a Brexit update, and some other bits of news. But just before we start, I'd like to do a bit of admin at the beginning. First of all, a few words about my sponsor who helped to make this podcast possible. I'm talking about italki this time. A super convenient and flexible way to get one-to-one lessons to improve your English as quickly and effectively as possible. Are you looking for a one-to-one teacher? Would you like to take English lessons on Skype whenever and wherever you want? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, look no further because italki is the solution for you. And remember that italki are offering all of you a free lesson. For all the information, check out teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Okay, so the admin then. Um, I just wanted to mention something about uh, your messages for episode 500 of this podcast. You know that episode 500 is coming up and I'm asking for um, my listeners to send in little voice messages. Thank you very, very much if you have sent me a message. Uh, That's very cool and brilliant. The vast majority of you haven't obviously sent me messages because most of you are ninjas, of course, as we know. But that's okay. If all of you sent me something, then I'd be a little bit inundated by recordings. Um, uh, But if you have sent me something, then thank you very much. Some people have been asking me when the deadline is for your recordings. When's the deadline for recordings? Well, let's say that the deadline is the 15th of December. That's the day before Star Wars Day, uh, the day before the new Star Wars Day come. Uh, the new Star Wars Day? No. That's the day before the new Star Wars film comes out in many countries, I think. Um, so at midnight on the 15th of December, that's the deadline. So if you would still like to send me a voice message, you still can, and please do. Just make sure that you do it before the 16th of December. So the end of the day on the 15th is the latest. That's the deadline. If it's the 16th of December, it's too late. Okay? So remember, I'd like you to, in your recording, say your name, where you're from, and then anything else that you want, you can send your audio to luketeacher at hotmail.com. 30 seconds of audio, maximum 30 seconds. I know that's not much time. It's just enough for you to say one or two things. The idea is that I'm going to put all of your recordings together in a montage, and um, if it's if if all the recordings are too long, then it'll just go on forever. So thirty seconds, please. I know that's a bit of a challenge for many of you, not just to keep it in keep it within thirty seconds, but just to record your voice and send it to me. I know that's a bit of a challenge for for many of you, and you might feel self conscious, uh, like I do in French. But I would still like to encourage you to do it. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you that when you listen 
to episode 500, which will arrive in the next couple of weeks, I expect, unless, I don't know, unless uh, our baby arrives and life is thrown into chaos uh, before I manage to do it. But anyway, when you do listen to episode 500 and you hear other people's voices... Um, by the way, the episode will also contain some general rambling from me and, and also a cool bit of news as well. But anyway, when you hear other people's voices in episode 500, you will kick yourself if your voice isn't in there too. So go ahead and send me something, luketeacher at hotmail.com. Okay, um, next bit of admin is this. Do I have any listeners in Prague? Well, I'm sure I do. Uh, but if you're in Prague, then this is a message for you. Um, so Zdenek Lukas, the guy behind Zdenek's English podcast, is interested in organising a meetup in Prague. He's really into board games, and he often uses them as a tool for teaching English. I think it's a really good idea. Using board games is a really fun way of interacting with people, and it involves lots of communication. So board games are a great way of practicing your English. So Zdenek is really into board games. He's an English teacher himself. And apparently there's a, a cool board game cafe in Prague where people get together and play board games with each other, which sounds like a really good and fun idea. Um, so yeah, I love board games too, and I think they're a great way to socialize. And as I said, they can provide a fantastic medium through which you can practice communicating in English in a very fun way. Also, this board game cafe is called Bohemia Boards and Brews, and it was set up by an American guy in Prague. Apparently, a lot of English native speakers hang out there. So it sounds like the perfect place to have a Lepster meetup. In fact, Zdenek has already organised a few meetings there in the past. So basically, if you are in Prague and you're interested in this, please get in touch with Zdenek. He needs to know how many people are interested before he can go ahead and book the cafe. So get in touch with Zdenek, then he can sort of make some plans for a meetup, okay? So please send Zdenek an email. You can just say, hi, Zdenek, I'm interested in a meetup in Prague. That's it. That's all you need to do, really. Just get in touch with him and just say that you're interested. Uh, and you can send your email to teacherzdenek at gmail.com. Teacher, obviously, T-E-A-C-H-E-R. Zdenek is spelled Z-D-E-N-E-K. So T-E-A-C-H-E-R-Z-D-E-N-E-K at gmail.com. All right? Okay, so that's all the admin done. Let's now start this new episode. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. So, hello everyone. Here's a new episode of the Rick Thompson Report on Luke's English Podcast. It's been a while since the last one of these. If you've never heard a Rick Thompson report on the podcast before, these episodes are when I talk to my dad about the news, usually politics, and especially Brexit. Um, it started last year when I spoke to dad about Brexit in an effort to explain the subject and to see what kind of language would come out of our conversation. People told me that they liked hearing my dad's comments, 
and so we made it a more regular feature on the podcast. My dad has a clear voice and he's able to explain these complicated political stories in a fairly coherent way. Also, he's a former journalist who likes to keep up with the news. He's very well informed and so he's a good person to talk to about this kind of thing. Um, It's no secret that my dad believes that the UK is better off in the European Union, even if the EU is by no means a perfect institution. He thinks the UK should be part of the EU, and I have to agree with him. Now, this is not the BBC. We don't have a duty to try and present a balanced view on these things, although I do think it's really important to deeply consider both sides of the argument. But this isn't the BBC, so we can give our personal opinions And after plenty of consideration, we think that leaving the EU is an unnecessarily reckless thing to do. And we often wonder about the motivations of the people who campaigned and voted for it in the referendum uh, in June last year. Since the referendum, Dad and I have followed the story of Brexit on this podcast in episodes of the Rick Thompson Report. If you want explanations of the specific language of this topic, so if you're listening to this episode and you're kind of not entirely sure about some of the terms or the concepts, uh, certain words and things, I suggest that you go back into the archive and check out episode number 352, which was called Brexit Key Vocabulary and Concepts. That In that one, I go through some of those concepts and terms in some detail and try and explain them a bit. That might help you understand the language. But as a recap for Brexit, the story, here is that story so far. Okay, I'm going to try and keep this brief and yet um, informative. All right. So the Brexit story so far. Former UK Prime Minister David Cameron called a referendum on the UK's membership of the EU, giving the people of Britain the option to choose whether they thought the UK should remain a member of the EU or whether the the UK should leave. Uh, So he, he called that referendum largely in order to satisfy the wishes of the growing Eurosceptic elements within his own party. Some members of the Conservative Party are so anti-Europe that it could have split the party in two, with the Eurosceptics and the Conservatives breaking away, perhaps to join UKIP, that's the United Kingdom Independence Party, a party which is basically all about getting the UK out of Europe. So uh, the Eurosceptic MPs in the Conservatives could have... Uh, broken away from the party and joined UKIP or maybe set up another party or something. And this would have effectively destroyed the Conservative Party. This kind of break would have destroyed the party. So I think when he called the referendum, David Cameron didn't really believe the country would vote to leave. And that by having a referendum with a remain result, this would basically silence the Eurosceptics in his party and it would bring his party together again, mending the divisions um, and effectively saving the Conservatives. So arguably, this whole thing happened just to settle a dispute within the Conservative Party. Arguably. I mean, you you also could say that it's because there's a, a legitimate, um, 
you know, people had legitimate concerns about the EU and that there was enough uh, popular um, opinion against the EU for this referendum to, to happen. But anyway, I, I think it's also generally agreed to be true that the, the, the referendum was called as a way of settling a dispute within the Conservative Party itself. And, of course, it didn't happen in the way that Cameron expected. As we know, the people of the UK actually voted to leave. By a narrow margin, 51.9% of the country voted to leave and 48.1% voted to remain. So a narrow margin. Um, This was a result that nobody really expected and therefore... We are now in completely new territory. And instead of silencing the Eurosceptics, many of them are now in charge. So why did people vote to leave the EU, especially when so many experts and commentators predicted that leaving would be highly damaging to our economy and therefore to the general standards of living in Britain. So why did people vote to leave? It's a it's very complicated and there are various reasons. Partly, it seems to be about immigration, that many people see the European Union as a gateway through which immigrants can come into the UK. And many people think that immigrants are bad because they take jobs away from local British people and they bring with them a culture which is considered to be incompatible with life in the UK, namely the culture of those people coming from coming through Europe from Arabic nations where Islam is the main religion and that preventing these people from coming is more important than pretty much anything else. Like, for example, it's more important than being part of the European marketplace, having access to all the European Union protections and programmes and more important than being able to travel freely throughout Europe and so on. These are, the, you know, these are the reasons why many people voted to leave. Also, many Brexiteers or Brexiters see the European Union as an undemocratic institution threatening the independence or sovereignty of the United Kingdom. Others think that the UK pays too much money to the EU and that it's an unfair arrangement and that we could be better off making trade deals with the rest of the world instead of Europe. None of those people or none of the campaigners for leave ever talked about the various benefits of EU membership, which would be lost if we left. So all those reasons for leaving the EU that I mentioned there are completely debatable and questionable and are considered by many people to be simply not true. Is the European Union really an undemocratic institution? Um, I mean, it's sure it's confusing. It's complicated. But is it really fair to say that it's undemocratic? There may be some slightly undemocratic aspects of it, but it's not wholly undemocratic. You could say the same about most governments or most parliament parliamentary systems in nations in the European Union. Um, is the EU any more undemocratic than the UK's own political system? A system that includes a whole chamber uh, in the House of Commons Uh, full of uh, lords that are not actually elected by people. So is the EU more undemocratic than the UK's parliament? Also, is is EU immigration that bad for the country? Uh, The majority of EU citizens coming to Britain 
come from European nations and bring with them skills that contribute to UK life. For example, we're talking about nurses and doctors who are actually vital to our national health system. Will closing the doors to the EU really stop Muslims from coming to the UK? Uh, aren't many, uh, and also, aren't many of the terrorists who launched attacks on the UK born and bred there? I ask those two questions because, you know, this is the sort of tone which is taken by many of the people who believe we should leave, that they think that it's a, a way to protect us from a sort of dangerous uh, uh, religious ideology. And anyway, what's wrong with Muslims? What's wrong with Muslims anyway? Now, the, the Brexiters, as they're often called, seem to have the position, or many of them seem to have the position, that Islam is intrinsically at odds with British life and that it's a direct threat to our culture, as if the values of extreme groups like ISIS are true of all Muslims and that somehow getting out of the European Union is the solution to this issue, even if that means breaking away from European security services that work with the UK to monitor and prevent terrorist attacks. Now, this is very tricky territory. We all agree that ISIS or Daesh or whatever you want to call them, that these people are dangerous and awful. Um, we also know that the words of the Quran are interpreted in many ways by different people, some some more aggressively than others. But is leaving the European Union the right response to these fears? It seems like a knee-jerk reaction to the issue and an expression of a desire to just isolate from the world and somehow go back to the way things were in the past, when Britain enjoyed a more powerful position on the world stage, and generally when things were a bit more simple, when we didn't have global warming, we didn't have the banking crisis, we didn't have the threat of over overpopulation, we didn't have the complexities of the internet and all the rest of it. Also, the Leave campaign was accused of exploiting the fears and emotions of the, pe of the people unfairly, making false promises like, for example, how much money would be given to the NHS, uh, using the platform for selfish reasons. In the case of someone like Boris Johnson, for example, who's been criticised of uh, promoting the Leave campaign purely for his own purposes. And also, uh, uh, the Leave campaign has been accused of generally not having any kind of plan for Brexit beyond just saying, let's just get out and make Britain great again. Anyway, after the referendum result, the UK Parliament voted to go through with it. And so that's that. Uh, David Cameron resigned, of course, straight after the referendum result came out, effectively just walking away from the mess that he created. Uh, he had campaigned for the UK to remain in the EU. And so the argument was, that he wasn't in a position to oversee the negotiations for our departure because he didn't really believe in the project. So, who took over as Prime Minister? Well, various people lined up to become the next Prime Minister and there was a bit of backstabbing and shifting of positions. And in the end, everyone else dropped out of the, uh, of the leadership contest except Theresa May, uh, who, by the way, also wanted to remain in the EU. So Cameron left because he was a Remainer and he was replaced by Theresa May, 
who was also a Remainer. So, yes, it doesn't really make sense. That's the thing, really. Not a lot of what has happened since the referendum has made much sense, mainly because there was no Brexit there was no Brexit plan anyway beyond just saying let's take back control and make Britain great again how well uh, we'll just stop complaining and get on with it that seems to be the the plan as far as i can see so after triggering article 50 to formally begin the process of leaving the uk's government led by theresa may have had to start negotiating with the eu to work out the terms of the deal the deal being basically how we're going to get out and how we're going to then kind of get back in again because um it makes no sense to just leave the european union with absolutely no trade deal so what what Theresa May and her her team are trying to do is work out how we're going to leave and then how we're going to create a new deal with the EU in which we have some some kind of trade agreement uh, where we agree things like the movement of people and what's going to happen to uh, UK citizens who are living in the EU and EU citizens living in the UK and border policies between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland and all that stuff. So they're they're trying to negotiate all those things. And that's pretty much where we left things in the last Rick Thompson report, which was quite a few months ago. Since then, a long time has passed, and honestly, hardly any progress has been made, and all sorts of really difficult problems have come up. Problems which many people uh, think might be impossible to resolve. Uh, Like, for example, what is going to happen on the land border between... Uh, Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, and the Republic of Ireland, which is part of the EU. Now, nobody wants a hard border there. When I say hard border, I mean with passport checks and visas required for movement. Also, what about the rights of people from the EU who are living in the UK and perhaps who are settled there with children and families? And what about the rights of UK citizens living in Europe in a similar situation, like me, for example? Uh, What about all of the companies that rely on trade with Europe, what will stop them having to just move their operations to somewhere in the EU when they realise that it won't be profitable to carry on trading from outside the EU? And what about the so-called divorce bill that the UK will have to pay to the EU before it leaves, the money that it owes? And what will be the impact on the UK's economy? How will this affect our, our economy in general and all the different industries? Uh, what about the different industries that require membership of the single market in order to be able to do their business in a profitable way? Because the majority of our trade deals are done within the EU. Most of our stuff is bought from Europe and most of our stuff is sold to Europe. How will this affect our economy to totally uproot our trade deals. And by the way, those trade deals basically involve sort of, you know, reduced tariffs. So where you're trading with different countries, but you don't have to pay lots of import and export taxes. And, you know, when you when you trade with a country that you don't have a strong trade partnership with, it can be very expensive to pay all the taxes for, for getting your stuff in and out uh, of, of those countries. That's, you know, that's what the single market is to an extent. It's a kind of an agreement where, you know, taxes aren't imposed on those deals. So will the UK be able to make a new deal with the EU that will be anywhere near as good as the one that we have now? 
These are extremely hard questions to resolve, especially for the UK. And the EU is not really in a mood to make a lot of concessions to the United Kingdom. Now, they they won't want to make it easy for the UK to leave with a great deal because they need to set an example to other European nations in order to say to them, look, don't you think about leaving too? We need to stick together. So it's going to be a very tricky negotiation, especially for the UK, who aren't in a great position to get concessions from the EU. But as I say these words, the UK government and representatives from the EU are negotiating these issues while the clock is ticking. And the clock is ticking because um, in 2019, the UK will be leaving the uh, the EU whether there is a, a good deal in place or not. Okay, um, And you may have heard the expression, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal, which is what people like Nigel Farage from the UK Independence Party have uh, has said. Um suggesting that if we fail to get a decent deal in the negotiations, that we should just leave with nothing, which sounds like a pretty reckless thing to do to me. So I spoke to my dad yesterday evening for this podcast, and we talked about all of this. And you'll hear that my dad is very doubtful that Theresa May can get a good deal here. Uh, Maybe he's being pessimistic. Maybe he's being realistic. I don't know. You can decide. But... After immediately after our recording yesterday, uh, during the night, Theresa May and EU negotiators actually made some progress, and the EU have now decided that they can proceed to talk about the future relationship between the EU and the UK. If you've seen the news today, you might have seen the story that significant progress has been made in the negotiation. That's the kind of the breaking news this morning on Friday the 8th of December. This basically means that the EU have said, and since I talked to my dad, like literally last night, the EU said, okay, we can do a deal. This is the first major step in the negotiations, a bit of progress. And this includes promises that there will be no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, although... The specific details will need to be agreed in the coming months. And they only have a few months to negotiate everything. And although the EU have said, OK, well, let's do a deal, the Irish border issue hasn't really gone away. We still don't know how goods and people will be treated between uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. We still don't really know. All, all that's been said is like, yeah, Okay, don't worry, there won't be a hard border, but God knows what the what the other option will be. Um, to get a sense of how tricky all of this is, um, and to get all my dad's uh, points of view, then listen on, because you will hear my dad expanding on it uh, a bit. So, things have already changed in this situation since we recorded the conversation yesterday. That's just the way things are. We're on shifting sands, as you might say. Um So, yes, this is quite a long introduction, isn't it, here at the beginning of the episode? And I'm nearly finished, I promise, but I'm I'm just trying my best to keep this clear for everyone out there in podcast land, including those of you who are far removed from this story 
and perhaps don't know anything about it. I always try to make things clear and simple for you in episodes of this podcast, but sometimes it's just not possible when I want to talk about a subject in proper depth, and that's the real world. Uh, This, like certain other episodes of my podcast, could be a difficult one to follow, but I hope that you stick with it, and that even if you don't understand all aspects of this unprecedented political situation, that this helps to clarify things at least a bit, and that you can notice certain bits of nice language in our conversation, and that you at least enjoy listening to my dad's descriptions and views on all of it. All right? So, here is the Rick Thompson Report for December 2015, recorded yesterday evening. That was the 7th of December, and here we go. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. Hello, Dad. How are you today? Hello, Luke. I'm fine, thank you. Feeling a bit chilly today. Really? We have to start with a weather report. It's the tradition. Um, Yes, it certainly is. And um, we've got Storm Caroline, um, which is, you know, a funny name for a storm, really. Anyway, Caroline is, is moving across Scotland, bringing high winds, heavy seas and snow in Scotland. And uh, the the cold is going to sweep down across England tonight, and we're going to get some snow here in the middle of England tomorrow. Oh, really? Are you going to get snowed in? No, we're not. I don't think it'll be that much snow, but uh, there will be some snow, uh, and maybe the next couple of days as well. Who knows? We have a might have a white Christmas. That would be unusual. It would be, wouldn't unusual it? Unusual for the middle of England, yes. These days, you don't really get white Christmases anymore. No, you don't. In the old days, you used to get snow regularly around Christmas, but in recent years, uh, no, not in the Midlands and the south of England. It's quite unusual around Christmas time. Why is it called, uh, what is it, Hurricane Caroline? No, it's not hurricane, it's a storm. Storm. She's a storm. Why? Why have they chosen to call this one Caroline? I don't know. The meteorological office gives all these things names, and they they work in kind of some kind of alphabetical order. I'm not quite sure how they do it. Maybe somebody out there in podcast land knows why they call them, you know, whatever they call them. But they have to give them a an alphabetical name, so they kind of they have Charlie if it's a sea a, a sea month or something or um, Caroline. Um, okay. So if there's another one next month, it'll probably be David or Darren or maybe Diana or Daphne. Right, I see. Alphabetical, basically. Something like that. All right, then. Now, so uh, it's been a while, actually, since the last Rick Thompson report, because that's what this is. This is the Rick Thompson report. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a while since the last one. Why is that, I wonder? <laughs> well, it's probably because... The political scene here has been in a kind of awful stalemate um, with uh, dominated by Brexit, which comes more and more embarrassing as each week goes by. And uh, we're still not there yet. And, and as we as we speak, um, poor old Theresa May is uh, supposed to be getting some kind of deal she can put to the EU before they have a summit uh, next week. And they gave her a deadline of the end of this week, which is tomorrow. So as we speak, another deadline looming and no um, solution to the outstanding problems which have to be solved before they can start talking about future trade relations. Right. OK, so it's it's just been frustrating and almost depressing. 
Well, it is for me. Uh, your listeners probably know that I think leaving the EU is, is pretty crazy. Um, and I find it hugely frustrating that uh, people are simply ignoring the facts of uh, the benefits of being in the EU and desperately trying to find some way of leaving the EU while getting all the benefits. And we know very well that's impossible. So, the, the uh, yes, it's hugely frustrating. And the thing that happened in recently was that... Um, the Prime Minister, Theresa May, rushed off to Brussels to have a crucial um, meeting with the President of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, to say, right, we have settled the three issues that you needed to have settled before we can move on. Mm. And um, they were, um, how much money do we pay for outstanding commitments to the EU, the uh, so-called divorce bill. The second one was how are we going to sort out uh, the border with Northern I- with Republic of Ireland, between Northern Ireland and Republic because of Ireland? Because that's the, sorry, that's the only land border that the UK has with the European Union. It's between that's right. Northern Ireland in the UK and the Republic of Ireland, um, not in the UK, but in Europe. Yes, the, the third issue is okay. about status, status of citizens, EU citizens in the UK and equally... British citizens living in the EU. That's really not going to be much of a problem. They've settled the, um, the they've come to an agreement on how much money we're going to be paying, it seems, to um, settle our commitments to, uh, to the EU. And so, as you say, Ireland is the big outstanding issue. And, um, well, uh, if you have, if you return to having an actual border across Ireland, that would be disastrous. And nobody wants it. Um, Why would it be disastrous? It would be for several reasons. One, that there has been free movement across the island of Ireland for a long, long time. This border is has got hundreds of little roads and lanes and, and some farms that straddle the border. And people do lots and lots of business across that border like it doesn't exist. And... Um, it it has been during the violent troubles in in the seventies that it was guarded by military guard posts because they thought that uh, the IRA were getting support from Republic of Ireland and they were uh, suddenly these guard posts became prime targets for the uh, Irish nationalists because the issue the issue that just in case anyone isn't completely aware of it the issue is that there are some people in Northern Ireland who believe that. Northern Ireland should be part of Ireland, that Ireland should be... United. United, that's right. And then some people who, who live there who think that Northern Ireland should be part of Britain. And so and, and that, that people feel so strongly about it, like they do in many other areas in the world, in similar situations, that they, you know, would take up weapons and, and fight um, yes. for their cause. Yes, it was a very, very nasty, troubled time when this it became violent, and it went on for a long time. The two groups you talk about in Northern Ireland are known as the Republicans, who want the whole island to be the Irish Republic, and the Unionists, who um, say Northern Ireland will forever be part of the United Kingdom. And the, the Unionists are mainly Protestant, and the Republicans are mainly Catholic. The but, so like Unionists a- have a majority in Northern Ireland. Uh, there are more of them. And they have more representatives. And so uh, the idea that they would accept anything that suggests that Ireland is moving towards being united upsets them a lot. 
So if there isn't going to be a border across Ireland, uh, which nobody wants, Northern Ireland doesn't want that either. Republic doesn't want it. The EU doesn't want it, and London certainly doesn't. But want don't it. don't the sorry don't the unionists? Uh, how do the unionists feel about it? Because um, they think that Northern Ireland should be part of Britain and not, you know, the rest of Ireland. Are they sort of? a bit more okay with having a hard border there. No, they don't want a hard border. Yeah. Nobody wants a hard border. It'd be bad for their citizens. It would be um, uh, very awkward. Um, it would, you know, bring back inflamed tensions which have been settled for a long time. No, they don't want a hard border, but they also don't want a border in the Irish Sea. They don't want to imagine that people moving from Northern Ireland into mainland Britain are seen as having to cross some kind of border for trade or people. So it, it seems to me to be a completely intractable problem. You either have no, no border at all at all, or you have a border in Ireland, which nobody wants, or you have some kind of border between Northern Ireland and the UK, which is impossible to accept. And you have to remember that the Unionists' main party in Northern Ireland, the DUP, their 10 members of parliament are keeping Theresa May in power. By supporting the Conservative Party, that was so. I mean, it is a total mess, and um, uh, no one seems to be able to come up with a solution which will satisfy everybody. That was the last thing we talked about in the last Rick Thompson report. That was just after the general election, the snap general election, the election in which every everyone expected the Tories to win by a landslide victory, but they didn't. And they ended up having to do a deal with the DUP, this this unionist party from Northern Ireland. The deal is that those 10, 10 MPs, is it? Yes, ten, it is. Those 10 MPs would, would basically kind of support the Tories in their voting in Parliament. And in return, the Conservative government gave them a huge Yes, they, 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 it, it was a rather crude uh, billion-pound injection of funds into Northern Ireland to do things that the DUP wanted done in Northern Ireland. Um, so they bought- and, you know, I, I, I don't know quite what I said on the last last time we talked about it, but it, I think I mentioned uh, a sack of money would be uh, offered up to get their support in Parliament. They are instinctively supportive of the Conservatives. The right-of-centre Conservative government is actually called the Conservative and Unionist Party. That's their actual technical name. Oh, is that the government? They are the Conservative and Unionist Party. So they stand for the union themselves. Right, I see. I see. Okay. So the the, the issue is that Theresa May went to this meeting with Claude Juncker. Yes, it, it was quite dramatic. She had to break off the meeting because she got a message saying the leader of the DUP, the leader of the Democratic Unionists in Northern Ireland, uh, was upset, was on the phone, and they, she had to talk to – she's called Arlene. Come on, Arlene. Arlene Foster. Mm. And um, they'd only just seen the text that – Theresa May was offering up to the EU, and they were upset. They they said, no, we, we can't possibly agree to it. So the talks were broken off. Sorry, what was the text then? What was well, the pro- proposition? It was about alignment. Uh, it's very difficult. It's all about complicated diplomatic words. But in effect, it was saying that, that Northern Ireland uh, would have a separate status on trade from the rest of the United Kingdom. They were going to align them with the EU 
in a way that was matching the Republic of Ireland. So therefore, there'd be no need to have any kind of border checks because they would be working on the same rules. Well, that's all very well. But uh, suddenly Scotland, which voted to remain in the EU, says, well, if they get a special deal, we'll want one too. And actually, Wales did too. And so did London, which voted to remain. I mean, this is ridiculous. So... um, uh, what exactly they are going to come up with, I do not know. But everybody is running out of patience. And, um, you know, it, it may be we get stumbled to this, this EU summit without any um, agreement on this main issue. And therefore, trade talks can't start. So and we're sort of running out of time. The, the the big business people here say we're supposed to be actually out of the EU in March 2019. So, okay, so it's less than 18 months away. The amount of work to be done between now and then is is frightening. And they say we're not ready for it, and it will be a disaster. One of the leaders of the um, the financial sector in, in London saying yesterday that they estimate it'll immediately lose 75,000 jobs from London as big businesses, banks and insurance companies all move their people inside the EU to Frankfurt or Paris or wherever. So what Brexiters would say is that this is a sacrifice worth making. No, they say it's nonsense. Wait, the, London, the- London will be a great trading centre forever and, and uh, people are being scared unnecessarily and we will, we're confident that we will have a very good deal which will mean it completely unnecessary for anybody to move. So the, the Brexiters just don't accept that the jobs will disappear? It's very difficult for me to be uh, impartial, as as I have been throughout my career when reporting things, because I'm not reporting these things anymore. You don't have and to I, be impartial, and, 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 and I can, and I, I, you know, I can now express my personal opinion as opposed to producing a news program which has to give you know due weight to everybody's opinion and everybody's relevant. Well, I look at it now and I say I think that these people who are pushing for Brexit are deluded. I mean, they, they, they are just ignoring the facts. The facts are you can't negotiate trade deals with the rest of the world just like that. It's impossible. And uh, our best part, trading partner is the EU. And all they're doing at the moment is desperately trying to damage limitation, trying to make sure that there won't be too much damage. So we've tried to answer this question before, um, and that is what is it that the Brexiteers are motivated by in their passionate campaign for the UK to leave the European Union? That's a really good question. I find it difficult to get inside the heads of some of these people. There are several individuals, of course, and they probably have different motives. Um, People know Boris Johnson because he's the Foreign Secretary and he's because he's a flamboyant figure. Remember that he... When he was the mayor of London, he actually spoke up for the EU and spoke against leaving it. And right to the last minute in the referendum campaign, everyone thought that he was going to support Theresa May, who was supporting Remain. And he didn't. Now, the reason he didn't, most people say, was because he was thinking that if uh, leave win, and David Cameron, sorry, not Theresa May, David Cameron has to resign, which indeed he did, then step forward Boris Johnson to take over. So most commentators 
agree that it was a cynical move for his own career advancement and not particularly for the betterment of the country. So that's one motive. Another another motive is that some people are pretty right-wing instinctively and that they are nationalists and they don't like the EU, never like being told what to do by the EU. And so they use this phraseology about we must take back control of our borders take back control of our courts and take back control of our lives and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's ironic that they said that we must take back control of our borders when now what we have is pretty much a border crisis with, you know, the Northern Ireland situation. I mean, it's the opposite of taking back control. (laughs) The borders are are in sort of in chaos. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, I, I could just see the stumbling towards this time when we're supposed to be out of the eu and see huge queues of lorries at dover and and um you know all that uh there are so many issues that have to be solved i don't see how on earth um they can be uh, solved before that deadline um so it's a bit depressing yes but we'll wait and see what happens anything can happen Anything can happen. I'm not predicting anything, especially since as soon as you put something out on your podcast, the opposite will probably happen, and I look like an idiot. But uh, so I'm not predicting things, but anything can happen. They, there can be uh, from the Brexiteers, if you like, the right wing of the Conservative Party. They might decide they want to challenge Theresa May for the leadership, so they have a, a, a much stronger Brexit candidate to push through Brexit in a tougher way. That's one issue. So the Conservative Party might sort of split or they might uh, try and um, unseat her because they don't think she's being tough enough. And on the other wing of her party, we know we've got, I think last count is 19 Conservative MPs who are pressurising her to say we mustn't have a so-called hard Brexit. We would like to stay in the customs union, please next thing that could happen would be that the DUP might decide that uh, they can't support the government anymore and therefore you know Theresa May would lose a vote of confidence in the House of Commons because you wouldn't have a majority and that would mean you'd have to have a general election if you had a general election well what would the opposition Labour Party campaign on because we don't actually quite know where they stand on Brexit well we do know that they want a soft Brexit what's that what is it that, that means, means as uh, uh, as good a trade deal as they can get. They would like to be in the customs union, I think, although no one's being too specific. And um, it may be that if an election happened, Jeremy Corbyn and his colleagues might come to the conclusion that their best uh, line of attack is to say, let's stop this nonsense. Let's pause. Let's just, you know, reverse the decision to leave, which is a British decision triggering Article 50 uh, in the in European Convention. And they might say, let's hold, we're not ready for this. this we, the assessments haven't been done. The evidence is now becoming so clear that it would be really bad news that we need to stop and uh, not rush over the edge of a cliff. Who knows? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next. You, you talked about Boris Johnson. He's the Foreign Secretary now. Um, uh, who's David Davis he is the so-called Brexit secretary, the secretary of state for exiting the European Union. So he's a member, senior member of the cabinet. His responsibility is to negotiate this deal. A lot of the, the newspapers uh, were reporting on a story yesterday involving David Davis that was quite shocking. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? You talk about him appearing before a, a committee uh, of MPs at Westminster. Yeah, it was a kind of a Brexit assessment committee, wasn't it? Yes, it is. It's a it's a committee which is representing the members of Parliament, wants to know what's going on. Right. And they, this is a committee which has a lot of power. The The parliamentary committees in this country do have a lot of influence and power. They can demand that people appear before them. They can demand documents uh, and and all that. So he was appearing before the committee, allegedly, to um, update them on what was happening. So they were basically saying to him, look, OK, David Davis, what's going on? Uh, you need to tell us what's going on with this whole Brexit thing. And the the question that I saw popping up in my Twitter feed, uh, the the thing that was trending, was the fact that what was it? Risk assessments or um, yes, impact assessments. impact assessment. That's right. So they asked him what impact assessments have been done on the automotive sector, on different types of industry, on different areas of the economy. You know, what is the likely impact going to be on the country as a whole? And he couldn't answer the question. Because he said, well, he actually, answer the question. Yeah, well, he said no impact assessments have been done. Yes, it's extraordinary. I, I, I mean, there are many occasions when he himself has talked about these assessments in progress, and I think he said there were fifty-eight of them. Fifty-eight different sectors are undergoing close analysis to see what the impact of Brexit would be, and that ranges from heavy industry to agriculture to all sorts of things. Uh, and he's repeatedly said that. He said it on the radio. He said it in the House of Commons. Uh, we are looking at this in great detail, blah, blah. We will be well prepared, and so on and so on. So it came as something of a surprise when um, he was asked, where are these uh, impact reports? Because they've had... 800 pages of documents given to the committee, a lot of them redacted, which means certain things have been, you know, blacked out. Yeah. But they are not exactly 58 independent assessment reports. They, what they exactly are is, is beyond me, but uh, they're certainly not that. And when he was asked specifically, so where's your impact assessment on the automotive industry, which, of course, is a very important one, he said, well, there isn't one. So basically the government don't know uh, what and will there happen. There aren't any. And it's absolutely amazing. What they're really saying is, because we don't quite know how things are going to turn out, there's no point in doing any of this. It's absolutely fantastic. It's embarrassing. It is deeply embarrassing that after 18 months of so-called Brexit negotiations, we have no idea what the impact would be on our key industries. So in these negotiations, just like in any negotiation, there's a certain level of kind of compromise on both sides. Okay, that's that's what two sides are looking for in a negotiation. I'll give you something if you give me something in return, right? Now, what have um, what have the UK managed to get in terms of compromise from the European Union at this stage? Nothing, as far as I'm aware. Nothing. Not not a single compromise. Well, I don't think so. Uh, the 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 rules of the game were pretty much set by the you know the other 27 member states. You know, it's 27 against one. We are the ones that are leaving. Mm-hmm. So the European Com- Commission says, right, well. There are key things that we want settled in the first phase of the talks, the three things we've just been talking about, things that exercised their member states, the, you know, particularly the status of, of EU citizens in the in working in the UK, living in the UK, their children, one thing or another, they wanted to know that first. 
Then they wanted to know uh, what the uh, situation would be with the Republic of Ireland, one of the, the 27, and they are approaching this in solidarity. They realise that it's a particular concern for the Republic of Ireland, Brexit, and so they will support them in that. And the third one was the money, because uh, it's a complicated issue, but it, in simple terms, the EU commits itself to long-term projects of all different all sorts of different kinds and uh, it, it negotiates tough a budget for a seven-year plan and a lot of these projects go beyond the seven years and we've um, you know we've all agreed these things and if we suddenly said well we're not paying you anymore from you know 18 months time well a lot of these projects would be desperately underfunded and so the other countries would either have to cancel them or they would have to pay more which they're not going to do so those are the three things that the member states of the eu wanted to settle first and then we would move on to a future relationship on trade and we haven't got there yet okay great yeah, I know. I mean, your <laughs> listeners will probably think, if we thought the UK was an efficient country. Well, yeah. all I can say is that there's nothing been like this before. Nobody has left the EU before. Nobody even thought that anyone would want to leave the EU before. And um, it's uh, uncharted territory, as we say in England. I keep English. trying to put myself in the shoes of uh, the, the, the Leave campaign or anyone who wants us to leave. And just reading, ins- I keep looking up, the threads on Twitter where there are arguments and discussions going on. I read the press, you know, written by the people who think we should leave. And a lot of the things they seem to say are, look, we just need to, you know, stop complaining and get on with it. That's one of the things. Yes, we yes. need to just get on with it. I don't really know what <laughs> well, that means. What does that mean, though? I don't know, Luke. But that's certainly what they say. And, of course, they are stoked up by elements of the, of the press. The newspapers here are uh, overwhelmingly anti-EU, though I have to say some of them have changed their tune a bit of late. The Times is being much more um, rational these days. Um, and, and if you take a, a popular newspaper like the Daily Express, which is actually uh, owned by UKIP supporters, uh, UKIP being the UK Independence Party that provoked us into this Brexit, mm. um, you know, they will splash their front page, you know, saying, don't pay them a penny, just leave. <laughs> well, thank you. It's Not you know as helpful. as you said it's it's motivated by sentiments of of nationalism the idea the the the, the ideology being Britain is a great nation it's a strong nation and that we can you know survive on our own and uh, it's all about this you know we don't want our sovereignty being taken away from us and the other thing that people say as we've said before is that uh, they think the European Union is an undemocratic institution and that, that that's one of the main arguments that I see is that people say it's undemocratic uh, well uh, yes uh, the um, uh, the European Commission um, is obviously more than a civil service. It's pretty much like a civil service. It's the, it's the operation that actually does things to get things done. The directly elected European Parliament is pretty democratic and um, they have power of veto over just about everything. So if the European Parliament doesn't agree it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And the member states are a collection of democratic nations with um, 
you know, their elected leaders getting round the table at the European Council. So uh, I, I think it's not fair, especially in this country where we have an elected House of Commons and we have an unelected House of Lords. So it's fairly ironic that our second chamber, which might be a Senate, is actually unelected, and yet people say, oh, the European Union isn't democratic. It is much more open than most national governments, I have to say that. So, uh, yes, the, it's an ignorance, but the the reasons that people voted to leave the EU go, run very, very deep. Mm. And Tr- obviously nationalist sentiment has been expressing itself all over Europe. Yeah. And And the reason for that is basically economics that when people feel that they're poor or worse off, there's no prospect and everything else, um, they start getting upset. And the 10 years since the bank crash has left a lot of people not very well off. And uh, the standards of living for people lower than the average uh, wage have been poor and people get fed up. So these things about let's take back control appeal to them because they want something to change. It's basically it's a, sort of an, an expression of fear, insecurity, as you said, the economic conditions, perhaps, but also lots of other things going on in our culture at the moment. We're always being told that the environment is screwed and that uh, global warming is going to bring about sort of terrible end of the world style conditions, that the the economy is buggered that you know we have all these problems and that there's a, a refugee crisis and that any minute now uh, the country is going to be inundated with uh, refugees we also have the isis uh, situation which is regularly sort of blown up in the media as it were uh, sensational stories and things people's emotions are being triggered all the time and it brings about this sense of great insecurity and fear and i think maybe people's attitudes towards the european union are sort of an expression of that fear that people have um, yes you've expressed it extremely well luke the the these things the, the economic crash the uh, refugees coming in from the wars in the middle east and other factors mm. anxieties about the world as well i mean there is a bit of a trump factor here as well that 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 makes people feel nervous and I and I do think that in in those kind of circumstances, a kind of siege mentality can get hold of people, and they just want to go back in time to some kind of golden time when it wasn't as nasty as this, and we weren't afraid of all these terrorists coming into the country. Mm. And um, you know, it's a kind of a. Uh, let's circle the covered wagons because there's, um, you know what I mean by that? No. Circle the wagons. Uh, it comes from the old cowboy films where, when when the uh, the Red Indians, as they used to be called, the Native Americans, come running down from the hills to attack the wagon train, they form a circle uh, to defend themselves. And it's mm. a phrase now. Uh, you know, you you you're getting your wagons in a circle is a kind of going back into yourself uh, is defending yourself against threats from outside yeah it's quite a tricky time and we've seen it in the past that when conditions are like this that all sorts of dodgy things can happen as we've seen in the past you know i'm talking about i mean you know i'm talking about things like circumstances that led up to to things like you know world war ii and the rise of the nazis in germany yes i mean we we don't want to make everybody feel terribly anxious because I, I 
I think we're a long way off that. And yeah. uh, but the there are parallels. There are certainly parallels that yeah. you know when somebody pops up who is an extravagant, uh, strong man who promises people everything's going to be great. You know, if just follow me. Well, th- there are a few around in Turkey and in the United States and in Russia and in North Korea and various other spots of people who um, are nationalists and who are high-profile, controversial, but not particularly, well, shall I say, not to my taste. Yeah, (laughs) not your cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. I was going to say, what about Trump? But... Well, it's difficult to know about that. I mean, you know, people are now shrugging their shoulders. I mean, it, it seems to me still extraordinary that the United States has got him as their president. When you look at all the presidents of the past, going back in history, and um, it's, I think it's a great pity. But it's also ironic for Brexit if we go back to that subject because um, just at the moment when we were saying, right, we'll forge great new trade deals around the world um, uh, it's a global market out there and uh, china's expanding and india's expanding and america is the biggest economy in the world and so we'll strike out the deals well suddenly they have a president who has an america first policy and uh, isn't interested in anybody else isn't interested in doing that kind of deal unless it's really good for america which means it wouldn't be terribly good for us and also he uh, there's a bit of um, a rift between the uk government and trump's administration at this moment yes they, they used to for many many years talk, talk about the special relationship that uh, america was our closest ally and that in Europe, Britain was their special ally. They even used to talk about us as being their aircraft carrier of Europe. And that special relationship uh, has served uh, Britain well in the past. I I don't think it exists anymore. Mm. Um, And I don't think the Trump administration cares two hoots about a special relationship with the UK. Mm. The, the, The most recent news from the States is that Trump has decided to consider he's changed his his uh, position on on Israel Palestine and he says that uh, he recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel which is a sort of big political move in favor of Israel and I don't you know I'm not I don't have a position on that really but it's a hugely controversial thing to do and all the you know many countries in the world including China and Russia and Saudi Arabia and stuff have have criticized him for doing it saying that it's an extremely sort of um um, risky move and that it's irresponsible because it could um, cause tensions in the area to 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 rise and it could end up you know it it could end up in violence and and so on um yes it, it it's um it's of course anything connected with the middle east anything connected with jerusalem is complicated but uh, there has been a long running stalled peace process to try to settle the issue of Palestine and the occupied territories in Israel for many, many years. And the United Nations have kept sponsoring this process. And one of the things is the the future of of Jerusalem is absolutely tied up with the future of the whole deal. Uh, because obviously the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews all see Jerusalem as their holy site 
and East Jerusalem is, you know, designated by the Palestinians as their capital if they ever get an independent state, which is still the hope. So it is highly provocative to basically change unilaterally this long-running negotiation which has always put the future of Jerusalem at the end of a settled, a long-term settlement. It'll be the final piece in the jigsaw to try and get a settlement and obviously it would have to satisfy all parties. So to suddenly announce that um, they're going to move their embassy out of Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital is uh, provocative to say the least. Why do you think he's done it? Oh, he just believes that Israel are their best partners in the Middle East. It's a business move. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, we could bang on about this stuff forever. and We don't want to we depress could. everyone. We don't want everybody to get too depressed. We'll cheer everybody up and say, it'll probably all work out well in the end. Everything's going to be all right in the yeah, end. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. <laughs> um, any good news floating about? Uh, Liverpool scored seven yesterday. Wow. In the European Champions League, that's quite good news. They've scored more goals now in a Champions League uh, campaign than uh, any f- English team for for years, 20 years or something. They're I great think. to watch. Okay. Great team to watch. You never know what they're going to do next, but they are a great team to watch. How many English teams have we got in the cha- in the uh, Champions League now? Oh, I don't know. Um, we've got a few. Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City. Okay. I think. Yeah, I think I think so at least, and Liverpool, Liverpool too. No, yes, yeah, yeah. Liverpool um, just top their group. Okay, yeah. so that's looking promising f- for us, anyway. I mean, yeah, we England f- English football fans, but I know that the the Premiership clubs have a big following around the world. Yep, and um, they're playing exciting football. Manchester City are playing fantastically well. Yeah, uh, Man United are always great to watch. Liverpool are terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even Chelsea are good to watch, <laughs> much as it grieves me to say so. You don't like so it's Chelsea. A kind of, it's a kind of football we like. You okay. know, it's, it's goals football. Yeah. Goals, goals. World Cup next year. Yeah, looking forward to that. England have, have actually been drawn a quite favourable group. Could have been worse. Hmm. So, but we, you know, we never do well in the World Cup. If we, if we actually get through to the knockout stages, we always lose on penalties to Germany. So nobody is expecting anything. No, no, no. We have low expectations of our team. Okay. Um, um, and what else? Uh, royal wedding. Royal wedding. Aren't we thrilled? And this Megan <laughs> is. A, looks like a good thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be in May next year in Windsor Castle, and that'll be something for us all to look forward to, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Do, uh, is it? Will there be street parties and stuff? Is 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 everyone? Going oh, to I get, doubt it. Are we going to get other Brits? Going I mean, to get... you know, come on, he's o- he's only the younger brother. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people have to die for him to be the king. So, yes, I, 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 quite a few, yeah. Yeah, so um, so it's not that big a deal. So I don't think it's going to be a public holiday like uh, for William no. and Kate. Well, I don't, you never know, do you? I mean, um, if uh, if the government decided it would be good for them to declare a public holiday, they'd declare a public holiday. I don't think anyone... Well, no, no, I think it'll happen at a weekend and, uh, you know, everyone will watch it on the TV and they'll think she's lovely and all that. 
Yeah, okay. Well, good. That's nice. Thanks for talking to us again, Dad. Yeah, it was lovely to talk to you too. And um, I hope your listeners uh, don't get too bored with this Brexit farce, but um, it'll get sold one way or the other, but I don't know how. I think one of the reasons that we that we haven't talked about it for a while is because sort of nothing new has happened, really. No major uh, events or changes have happened. And so, uh, you know, we end Only up just... Only more confusion and more confusion and more division and more confusion. We just end up That's going. We just end up going round in circles. Um, but still, I'm sure that people appreciate the clarity that you can bring to an extremely murky and confusing, messy situation. Uh, so thank you for talking to us. Dad. Well, it's extremely nice of you. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Well, I'll let you go now because you want to watch the news uh, and have dinner and all that stuff, right? Yep. Okay. That's right. All right. Then good. Well, have a nice evening. Speak to you soon. And same to you. We'll talk to you soon. Yes. Okay. So that was the Rick Thompson Report for the 7th of December 2017. I'm recording this part of the episode on the 8th of December. It's being published today. So how are you? Are you okay? How's your head after all of that talk of politics and stuff? Um, Now, I'm aware that the political scene is constantly changing, especially right now with regard to Brexit, shifting sands, as I said before. So by the time you listen to this, things may have changed a bit, including the announcement today that Theresa May has achieved a preliminary agreement in the negotiations. Apparently, they were negotiating all night. And this morning, we woke up to the news that some sort of preliminary agreement had been made. This is, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from the week.co.uk. Um, this short report entitled Trade Talks to Start After Brexit Deal Struck. So they have struck a deal. Uh, the UK has reached a draft agreement with the EU on the first phase of Brexit talks following a long night of negotiations. Theresa May flew to Brussels this morning for a meeting with European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker, who said negotiations could now move on to the terms of the new UK-EU trade deal. May has promised that there will be no hard border for Ireland. Theresa May's 15 pages setting out the last-minute Brexit deal gave her what she needed for now, says BBC's political reporter Laura Kausenberg. But this is a political agreement, not a practical one that answers every single question. So basically, all the specific details still need to be worked out, and there are a lot of them. But this seems to be, I guess, the first bit of progress that we've seen in the negotiations so far. Let's see what happens. I wonder how things will turn out. I really hope that things turn out all right in the end, basically. So that's the end of the the Rick Thompson report then. Um, No vocabulary to go through here at the end of the episode, although you heard quite a lot of expressions relating to international relations and politics in our conversation, but I'm not going through vocabulary here. For this episode, I can't do a vocab review because I'm just a bit pushed for time today and I want to get this episode published as soon as possible so that I can get back to work and and all that sort of thing. Um, So, sorry, no vocab. Uh, Baby news. Some of you might be wondering about the baby news. There is no baby news at the moment. No baby anyway. The new Thompson still hasn't arrived, but it could be any day now. Uh, Pod news or podcast news. I have already recorded episode 499 and that will be all about the royal wedding 
between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. You heard my dad and me briefly touch on it in our conversation, but um, the next episode will be a full episode all about the royals with a discussion about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, a conversation about the royal family, and a royal family quiz. So everything you wanted to know about the royals and the royal wedding. And in that one, in that upcoming episode, I'm joined by Amber. So you will get to hear her lovely voice on the podcast again. And then after that, it's episode 500, of course. Um, Now, I wonder if I will be able to work on that episode and get it published before Thompson Jr. arrives on the scene. Um, if I'm unable to to get episode 500 out by then, then it might take a little while for that episode to arrive, but we will see. In any case, I will speak to you again on the podcast soon in episode 499. Um, another thing also, remember Oliver G from Australia? I talked to him on this podcast recently. Well, I was on his podcast, The Earful Tower, which is all about Paris, I was on that podcast uh, yesterday, and we recorded an episode recently all about the Paris Metro, and that episode actually was recorded while the two of us were riding on the Paris Metro. Uh, It was quite fun. We we talk about our observations of the Metro, and also some of the funny things that I've experienced during my many hours spent travelling around the city uh, underground in, uh, you know, most of the time on the Metro. You can listen to that by going to theearfultower.com. I think I might also publish that episode um, in a post on my website too, so that if you're an email subscriber, you'll get the link in your inbox. So if you are subscribed to the email mailing list, you'll probably see that appearing at some point soon. Um, And if you're not a, a member of the email list, then, you know, why not join up? Um, just go to the website, teacherluke.co.uk, and you can just fill in the uh, the little form in the top right-hand corner of the page. And then when you've sort of, um, what's the word for it, when you've kind of uh, uh, verified the email that you'll receive first, you'll then start receiving little like email notifications when I upload something. Usually that's episodes of the podcast, but it could also be little bonus things like, for example, when I'm featured on other people's podcasts and and if I upload a video onto YouTube or something along those lines. So sign up to the mailing list and uh, you'll be able to... um, What? What, what will you be able to do? You'll be able to, to find the episode of The Earful Tower where the two of us are on the Metro talking about the Metro, uh, which I suppose would be quite a fun thing to listen to when you're on your Metro system in your country. So let's say if you're in Moscow and you're travelling on the apparently incredibly beautiful Moscow underground network, uh, it could be quite fun to be listening to me on the Paris Metro, while you're on the Moscow Metro, it'd be like sort of like inception for for public transport sort of thing. Anyway, um, join up to the mailing list and and you can get notifications of like, you know, extra stuff like that. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this one. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.